nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Lavelle, and we're joined all the way from Tasmania, from Hobart, by Steve Chopping. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's good to have you back on board. Thanks very much, uh, Tony. It's a pleasure to uh, to join you and uh, um, have some more um, discussions with you concerning uh, live issues. Indeed, and it couldn't get more live than the one today because, uh, as uh, we all know, that the uh, internet has uh, blown up. News correspondence is going on around the world about Formula One again. It's not the greatest way, but at least there were no drivers hurt. There was no, no one injured in this incident, but clearly the moment between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen on lap one of the British Grand Prix has ignited things and uh, it's been uh, terrific to see because people are having a view on Formula One as Steve I know that you've had for a very long time because of A your involvement and B your love of the sport. Yes um, I've actually held a Formula One super license as a steward to work in Formula One in any capacity uh, in any senior capacity you have to hold a your super license I've had my Formula One Super Licence 2005 to 2019. I didn't pursue it after that. And I'm also an FIA uh, Platinum Steward. So uh, um, I've experienced these sort of issues uh, uh, when working on a stewards panel for uh, numerous Grand Prix. One of the things that happened today was that Michael Massey, and you know, it's been fantastic to see. I mean, we all know that he stepped into the breach uh, in 2019, when Charlie Whiting sadly died uh, during the week leading up to the Grand Prix in Melbourne. And Michael Massey has demonstrated again and again, and you've known him for a long time, and you've seen, I imagine, him develop and flourish. And he clearly has that job and has shown and demonstrated during this process how well he is doing it. Michael went into the job uh, at short notice. He had a huge amount of experience in all aspects of motorsport with um, the secretarial side having set up and uh, basically steered numerous overseas Grand Prix to, uh, uh, from uh, inception to uh, the race actually taking place. He'd been a uh, long-term uh, um, employee of the sport in numerous capacities and uh, was able to take a huge amount of uh, experience with him into um, the um, the role that he filled after Charlie unfortunately died so suddenly in 2019 in Melbourne uh, and he's really developed into that job. Uh, uh, it's um, one of those jobs that people might say that's a, a job to aspire to but um, uh, the number of people who are capable of doing it is, is very, very limited. And Michael's shown himself to be well and truly capable and really does demonstrate just for what sort of basis and grounding we're able to provide people with the depth and quality of our motorsport in Australia. It is uh, amazing that 
he is now holding that position when you think he comes from down under. But it has been the way, hasn't it? Ever since Formula One's been around, there has been Australians in very prominent positions throughout the organisation, not only on the track. Yeah, that's right. I think that um, Australians have been able to uh, show that as a small country, we're able to uh, bat well above what might be experienced of a country of our size and uh, population. Um, with all the difficulties that we have of conducting our sport over such a huge area. But um, it does demonstrate that um, the grounding that people are able to gain as officials in um, motorsport in Australia is uh, one that is uh, equal to any in the world. And the Australian expertise has been well and truly uh, tested uh, with uh, Australian involvement, Singapore, Korea, numerous other overseas events and training of officials. So... uh, uh, Michael is just another demonstration of how good things are in Australian motorsport. Now, to the matter at hand, Hamilton versus Verstappen, as it's uh, been portrayed, having seen the incident, I imagine, on multiple replays and from multiple angles, if you were to put yourself in that steward's room, how would you go through the process of coming up with a decision on is it, a, is it an offence of a rule somewhere in what transpired? The, the test comes back to whether the conduct of any either of the drivers was uh, uh, dangerous or potentially dangerous and whether the collision which resulted was uh, wholly or predominantly caused by one driver. And those really are the tests that are to be applied. And the stewards panel comprises a chairman, experienced chairman, and there are four um, chairman used in Formula One through the year, uh, a um, super licensed FIA internationally appointed steward, a driver steward, and in, in this case it was Emmanuel Piro, and the ASN steward, the British steward, who was uh, the fourth member of the panel. And in this sort of thing, the experience of the driver steward has been invaluable in recent years. The driver steward is not like we have in Australia, a uh, driving standards uh, observer, is actually a 100% voting steward who make, takes part in all the stewards' work and all the stewards' decision over the weekend. And um, we have drivers like uh, Tom Christensen, nine-time Le Mans winner, Derek Warwick, uh, who won uh, numerous Grands Prix, um, Manuel Piro, and, and similar drivers of um, experience who are conducting themselves as stewards for the weekend. And this sort of event is one where all the relevant information and material from CCTV, the uh, broadcast TV, as much data as as is relevant for uh, the car, uh, things like radio transmissions and other information, coupled with uh, um, every piece of technological material that's available to the stewards is all considered and and is able all to be uh, synchronised at ten thousandths of a second. So any number of things can be played uh, on a um, coordinated basis. Uh, and then you basically would, as a steward, in my view, rely to a great degree on the, um, the, the opinion of the driver steward. And I could say that um, Emmanuel Piro is uh, one of the most careful, one of the most considered and uh, one of the most respected of the driver stewards. So um, I would um, 
know that uh, they had given very careful consideration, I'm sure the stewards gave very careful consideration to uh, to the questions that were before them and uh, didn't just uh, make a uh, an off-the-cuff uh, decision. And, of course, each case is considered in its own circumstances. One of the circumstances that is considered is that um, there tends to be a little bit more lenient approach to uh, contact that occurs in the first lap of a race compared with uh, when things have settled down. But there's a lot of material to be considered and it would involve some uh, discussion between the uh, stewards who then reach a collective opinion rather than a oh, 2 2 three, one vote or anything of that nature. I've not been a member of a uh, stewards panel that's had a dissenting vote. Always we've been able to reach a consensus and an opinion before um, uh, confirming what the decision and the penalty is. I, I guess two parts to this question, Stephen. How much does outcome play a part? And in this instance, there was a red flag. Did the red flag allow then the stewards, in your opinion, because you weren't in the room, in your opinion, allow them to come up with a decision where possibly this incident but no red flag would have had a decision made post-event? No, I think this this decision would have been made in the course of the race. Um, It's possible, believe it or not, to uh, have be able to monitor what the uh, progress of the race is and have uh, materials stored away for later use if you need it uh, for any subsequent incident and make a decision in the race. Um, John Tott has uh, encouraged that um, in a race, if possible, a decision be made within two laps. Uh, That's not possible um, in many cases, but the intention is that um, a, um, a good, correct, as correct as possible, and um, early decision is made so that there's a knowledge of the competitors in the race that if a particular penalty is imposed, only the proper people get on the podium. You don't have somebody on the podium who doesn't deserve to be there and you don't keep away from the podium someone who should be there. Um, So that's in terms of whether the decision would have been made, whether the race had been suspended or not. That decision would have been made while the race continued had there not been a suspension of that race. And um, uh, thinking back, I forgot what the first part of your question was. Um, Outcome. Oh, oh, the outcome. You look at the breach, not the the outcome. And um, I've seen some other uh, confirmation from Michael Massey today um, publicised that says that it's the nature of the breach which is uh, considered and uh, not the consequences of the breach. Um, You can have a huge intentional um, breach of the rules which has a minor consequence and should attract a much uh, harder penalty than uh, a minor transgression which leads to a serious consequence. And it seems to me that in this one, it was regarded as a relatively minor consequence uh, transgression of the rules, not far from uh, what is the expected and the required conduct, which had uh, a very substantial um, outcome resulting in that 51G collision that Max had with the uh, safety fence. So, no, the, you don't look at the, at the end result. You don't look at the consequences. You look at what the breach was and what the error was, which made uh, was made by one or other of the drivers 
to uh, determine whether that contact was caused, as I said before, wholly or predominantly by um, one or other of the drivers. We've never discussed, Steve, your interest in AFL, but I'm sure that you probably have some interest uh, as a, a Tasmanian and uh, somebody who... Very small. But it's interesting because that word consequence um, has come in recent years into the stewards who ap- who work in AFL and that the, the whole idea of the consequence of somebody going for a punch, a hit, a knock or whatever, and that bloke's jaw or his eye socket or whatever is broken. And that very thing of um, you cannot let the consequences of that breach overrule the actual breach. And uh, it's been a debate in AFL for some years um, and you know, it's probably still not settled, it's ongoing. But uh, um, y- your involvement in motorsport goes back a long way. It goes back, you know, we talked before and had you on the show. But in, in supercars, you came in shortly after Garth Wigston. Is that correct? Yeah, G- Garth and I were, um, Garth was the retiring chairman in 2004 and I came in as the uh, permanent second steward and then from 2005, I was the uh, permanent chairman of the stewards for uh, a fair few years after that. Yes. There have been a lot of uh, amazing incidents over the years. I mean, there was the uh, uh, the front under tray at Winton, I remember. <laughs> well, I can't remember what it was called, but it obviously had some involved in it. Splitter, splitter gate with the um, flexible mounting of a, um, of a uh, coloured animal race team. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, um, many incidents that have drawn upon your, you know, great legal experience and knowledge that have required quite some investigation to determine as to, you know, what the outcome will be of those investigations. Um, one of the one of the ones that um, I've said has given me greatest pleasure was the uh, the double diffuser uh, Ross Braun argument from two thousand and nine where we dealt with um, protests by Red Bull, Renault and uh, Ferrari against uh, Toyota, Williams and uh, the new Braun racing team over the configuration of the undertrade there. That was an argument that was viewed so seriously by uh, Ferrari that they actually brought a sports QC from London to argue the case in front of the stewards. Uh, we started on the uh, uh, early one afternoon and we went into the, um, not early hours the next morning, I think it was about 4am or 5am that we finished and uh, made our decision in terms of that. Um, and I think we heard from 27 or 28 um, expert witnesses and submissions, uh, which then gave rise to our conclusion that the brawn and our other configurations were not in breach of the rules uh, that went all the way to the International Court of Appeal in Paris and uh, uh, thankfully the International Court of Appeal agreed with our decision. So that was one of the uh, one of the more interesting and uh, more complex ones that I'd been involved in and uh, thankfully we made the correct decision. Well, we, afterwards, uh, the decision which we made as a panel of stewards was uh, supported by the, the uh, highest Court of Appeal. And there have been a number of others, so... Uh, uh, I've been pretty lucky and uh, had some uh, some fairly testing experiences from time to time. 
and and a large part of that, of course, is because the Australian Grand Prix was the first of the year, and therefore the rules were being tested, so to speak. Yes. Um, we'd been the guinea pigs there. Another instance of the testing of the rules was uh, 2014 with the new hybrid formula when the um, FIA um, or the uh, Formula One uh, technical regulations required that the maximum rate of flow from the fuel tank uh, through a gull meter was at the rate of 100 kilograms per hour. Red Bull in um, the um, uh, Ricardo car, Daniel Ricardo's car, were uh, charged with um, ha- allowing, permitting uh, excessive fuel flow, which amounted, someone said, to about a teaspoon worth of fuel uh, per lap. And uh, as a consequence of that, we made a decision which uh, disqualified Daniel Ricciardo from the uh, from the uh, from the race. It was a test of the operation of the meter, test of the operation of the new rules, and uh, it uh, and it became a test of. Um, uh, me as an Australian, because uh, here we were disqualifying um, Daniel Ricciardo from uh, the best position that an Australian had ever finished in um, his home Grand Prix. But rules are rules, decisions are to be made, and those decisions are made uh, irrespective of uh, personalities, uh, uh, perceived or past loyalties or anything of that nature. Everything must be approached on the basis that um, we're looking to um, ensure that the competition is fair safe and uh, in accordance with all the rules. One of the other great incidents that I remember you uh, fully involved in um, and uh, made you uh, pack up your bag and head quickly off to uh, Malaysia was the uh, Lewis Hamilton Australian Grand Prix um, and uh, calling into question uh, the ethics of some of the people who may compete in this Formula One. Yeah, that was a situation where um, we were given story a um, a version of events from McLaren and uh, Lewis Hamilton about an incident that occurred late in the Grand Prix while um, safety car, or I think it was a safety car period, um, Yano Trulli had run off the road. He was overtaken by Hamilton. Um, in the next um, partway through the next lap after Trulli had come back on the road, he overtook Hamilton. Originally, we were given a version of events which made that, uh, which showed that uh, Truly had breached the yellow flag rules. Um, later on, Alan Donnelly, who was then the chairman of the stewards, was spoken to by uh, journalists who said that uh, he said, "What?" At that stage, Alan was a non-voting uh, chairman of the stewards. Uh, someone said to him, "Why'd you let your blokes do that? What did like they did to uh, Truly?" and uh, Alan said, well, that's on. That's what the evidence was. And he said, I've got this uh, interview that um, is completely the opposite from um, uh, from Lewis Hamilton. And um, Wednesday afternoon, after thankfully my court case had fallen over, I was heading back to my office at about half past 11. I had a call from Alan Donnelly to say, we've got you on the plane from uh, Melbourne to Malaysia at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Can you get there? We need you tomorrow morning for a stewards hearing. So um, we ended up with disqualifying Lewis from the... Um, Australian Grand Prix that year, 2009 again. That was a good year in uh, uh, in my experience as a Formula One steward. It, we often hear 20 years later um, on on football programs like Open Mic and then other interviews about football players' careers and we're back on football, how they might have gone to the tribunal and because it was a final, because it was a grand final, no, he didn't actually hit me, I hit the ground when I tripped over or 
No, that wasn't a punch. That was just a, a tap. It didn't hurt me at all. How often are you sitting in, uh, or how often were you sitting in a steward's room listening to a piece of evidence being given to you going, I have to accept what he's saying because he's saying it, but I don't believe him. No, well, the situation is that we don't have um, football players fitted with um, 28 channels of data collection that can tell us whether they burped or um, or moved sideways or the force of which they applied um, any part of their body to something else, which is the sort of um, data, I'm sure, data, I'm told that I come from the Southern Hemisphere and I talk about data, whereas everybody in the Northern Hemisphere says it's data. So the data that's available quite often um, is far more significant than the uh, than the word of any of the drivers involved. And uh, uh, usually we get to the stage where it's apparent what the truth is uh, and um, to a degree I'd have to say that we've got good, responsible competitors and that um, in the main... Um, they don't try and pull the wool over your eyes. Um, I remember one significant uh, V8 competitor years ago who one afternoon told us a story which was quite blatantly um, uh, false. Um, and uh, he actually came back to us the next morning. We hadn't finalised our decision at that stage. He came back to us the next morning and said, um, all that stuff I told you yesterday, that was wrong. If I, if I didn't tell you now what the truth was, you'll never believe me in the future at any stage. Um, I said, what I told you yesterday was wrong. This is what the truth is. And uh, so that's an indication of the, the quality of competitors that we've got. Uh, and in the main, we get truth from, uh, from people and we're really in a situation, particularly with all the other material that's available and the pictures from uh, um, numerous angles, um, tell a bigger story than the uh, than the word of the drivers. And we can excuse it quite often on the basis that here's someone sitting in something that um, is cornering it up to 5G, um, it accelerates like nothing, it's hot, it's noisy, it's dangerous, um, you've got competitors around you, and uh, your perception of what's going on might be somewhat mistaken from uh, what is apparent from uh, outside footage. So... Um, I, I think that um, in the main, we get to a, uh, as stewards, we always get or usually get a uh, decision which is um, based on a, a true and correct set of facts. We've just got so much more material available to us than people realise. Looking now at, uh, as you have done, both from a, uh, uh, a stewardship point of view and also as a fan of motorsport, um, clearly, Lewis is a seven times world champion. He has both uh, his detractors and, and supporters. Um, Max is more than likely a future world champion. Um, it would seem that uh, while you know, many people are saying the penalty didn't fit the crime, it would seem that the very skill of Lewis Hamilton to regain the position he had um, that you know, he, he was looking likely to be taking in some stage of uh, leading the race. It seems likely that his skill was the thing that got him back there, not the fact that the penalty wasn't big enough. Would that be right, do you think? Um, I looked at it and um, and it was a pretty even situation in my view. And um, as I said, uh, had I been part of the panel, I would have relied very heavily on the driver steward for his opinion. Um the, um, there's a good some, there's good material and and 
an interesting comment on television was the uh, summation which uh, Jensen Button made, um, which seems to be pretty much in accordance with the view that the stewards had that um, there was room to the right of um, Lewis. He could have been a bit further to the right. It wasn't heavy contact. Heavy con- You didn't need heavy contact there. Maybe it was an overly ambitious move and uh, that as um, the um, team managers, uh, are they, um, the personnel from um, Red Bull tried to uh, convince Michael, who's not in any way involved in the decision, that um, that wasn't an overtaking place. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, it was a minor transgression, taking into account that it was on the um, first lap of the race. Uh, it obviously wasn't intentional. It looks as though he'd tried to get out but not been able to. I think that Max had assumed that um, he was a little bit, that Lewis was a little bit further back than he was. Max is aggressive. Lewis doesn't back his car. Um, and the overall situation, I think there's, um, there's a good basis for that decision to be made. And I think that um, um, on that basis, it was a, a fair penalty to be imposed. Mm. Um, there, there might equally be good argument to say that it was something which was uh, on the first lap of a race not so wide of the expected uh, standard of driving that you could regard it as uh, acceptable and therefore, as they say, a racing incident. But um, it comes down to somebody has to make the decision. And in these circumstances, there was a proper basis on which that decision um, can and uh, was made. Mm. I, uh, my Speedway um, brain says... You bring out a red flag, you the, if you're the reason behind the red flag, you're put to the rear of the field on the restart. And that, uh, it, of course, it's a completely different mindset, but I, I was very surprised that Lewis was able to get the car back still in second place for the restart uh, on the red flag. Uh, I thought that was amazing in and of itself. This goes to show that it really wasn't such a hard hit. Um, the hit that um, Max made on the wall was uh, 51G, and that certainly was hard. Uh, there was a lot of uh, delay in getting the car back because one of the things with the um, energy recovery system on these cars is that they've got a huge build-up of voltage um, as the stored electrical energy, which is then released as uh, part of your hybrid system. And um, until you know that the car is safe, there's a grave risk for anybody take, touching the car and acting as a... Um, a means by which the car, a highly charged car, is grounded to the earth and suddenly you become uh, part of the um, system by which the car sheds uh, thousands of volts of power through um, some poor official who's uh, got too close and put his hand on the uh, on the car. So there was the tile wall was needed to be rebuilt. The um, car was not able to be readily removed because of the concerns over the, um, the stored voltage. Um, and... Um, there's a system now of suspending a race which enables it to be suspended. The clock still runs and uh, um, we are able to uh, not have an artificial thing of running one or two laps and then a stop and restart the race or add two parts together. So it's a much better system to have a suspended race and the rules are, uh, the rules provide what can uh, uh, be done, what can't be done on a car during the suspended uh, part of that race, and uh, none of those rules were breached, and um, it's the uh, it's the luck of the draw. If Lewis had had a um, uh, a much more substantial damage and had um, in fact got to uh, you know had a flat tyre, 
uh, and a drop to the back of the field, well, that's where it would have been when the um, the time and assessment was made of the positions for the restart. So uh, the rules are there. The rules have been designed over time to uh, fit uh, most circumstances and uh, everyone knows what the rules are and everyone knows what they need to comply with and they did so on this occasion. In other circumstances, like um, in supercars, if you're in qualifying, if you um, cause a red flag, you lose your um, fastest lap and you don't take any further part in qualifying, even if it happened on your out lap. Um, but that doesn't exist, for instance, in Formula One. So uh, um, each category has its own particular sets of rules and um, all the uh, competition is run on the basis of and in accordance with those rules. Mm. One thing we saw... It was, or one thing we heard, I should say, was the communications between the team principals and Michael Massey. Now, if we bring that situation to supercars, um, there was, or there is a uh, communication system uh, in place for teams to be able to talk. And I remember hearing from supercars at one point, and I think it was in the early 2010s, uh, where they actually had to shut the system off because there was just that much uh, traffic going towards uh, race directors and stewards uh, about incidents throughout the course of a race. Can you can you liken what sort of pressure gets applied in that decision-making here locally? Yeah, there's always efforts by people to uh, try to convince uh, uh, someone that uh, their argument is correct and the other side is wrong or that a penalty, a more substantial penalty or a less substantial penalty should be imposed. We uh, rapidly got to the stage where um, nobody could um, approach the stewards in the course of uh, competition. Much the same applies in Formula One and every other category in which I've been involved. There's quite often an attempt that a competitor or a competitor representative might try and uh, come into the stewards' room in the course of the race and... um, Almost invariably, in my experience, they're um, not permitted inside. They go. Um, you get pretty um, inured of um, uh, attempts to uh, flood you with emails, um, uh, flood you with other information, and uh, to uh, try and um, influence the outcome of something. Michael Massey's not involved in any of the stewards' considerations, so whatever. Toto or Christian Horner and Jonathan Wheatley might have been able to, or might have tried with Michael, that had no effect on the stewards or Tuva. As stewards, we don't know about that. As stewards, you don't hear any commentary. You don't hear any of the pit lane interviews or any of the other uh, comment that's available um, to the general public. And um, you uh, consider the um, whatever issue arises uh, on the basis of the film the information, the timing, um, and all the other technological support that's available uh, without that sort of outside influence and pressure. And um, you just close off your mind to uh, efforts by people uh, um, in that way to uh, try and influence what the outcome is. If you get to a hearing at a later stage, people are heard in uh, a more rational and controlled um, circumstance and uh, in a more formal hearing, Uh, and are able to uh, put forward arguments. But um, this was a case where it was appropriate the decision be made in the course of the race. Uh, It was made in the course of the race. And uh, as I said before, I think there was a good basis on which it was made and that it was a a not unreasonable penalty. It wasn't a drive-through type penalty. It wasn't a stop-and-go type penalty. Um, 
it was more than a five-second penalty, and uh, it was therefore something that was along the range of the uh, discretionary penalties that were available to the stewards. Is the decision-making process of the process you go through very different in supercars or at TCR or at any other of the Motorsport Australia events than the process in um, in Formula One? Uh, noting before what you said about the driver, driver observer. Yeah the, yeah, the practice in Australia is that um, investigations are more particularly done by the um, deputy race director and the driving standards observer. Um, and then are referred to the stewards rather than in 95% of the cases uh, the uh, investigation being undertaken by the stewards in the form of a steward's hearing. Uh, of course, there are ones which end up uh, as steward's hearings, like the uh, Coulthard um, Penske DJR situation at Bathurst a couple of years ago with the um, uh, when um, Scott McLaughlin ended up uh, well clear of the field. Um, that was one that was um, uh, investigation and a full hearing undertaken by the stewards. But in the main, driving incidents are um, referred to the stewards from uh, the uh, deputy race director and the uh, driving standards observer, rather than being considered in great detail by the stewards. Although, if no agreement can be reached or a protest is made, then the stewards embark on the process from ground zero, not uh, to examine decisions that have been made by other people. So there's a range of processes, but in the main, um, Formula One tends to be more active and involved process, um, or FIA things tend to be more active and an involved process than happens in supercars. The one, the one thing that we can be pretty assured, um, Steve, uh, is that Formula One um, if the television ratings haven't been good, I think that over the balance of 2021, they're going to be excellent because this has put Formula One well and truly on the agenda for sports fans to watch because there's obviously going to be an enormous amount of interest in what will be a battle to the end of the year. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Steve, on Inside Supercars and Inside Motorsport. It's been wonderful to hear you know, the real story of what goes on. And uh, I only hope that uh, you enjoy the rest of your time and do get a chance to get back to the mainland uh, in the near future. My pleasure, Tony. Thank you very much. And uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm not a spectator, but um, I do enjoy um, watching motorsport, uh, although I do feel a little bit um, uh, blindsided because I don't have the timing screen in front of me and all the other material. But... It's still, it's a wonderful sport that we're involved in. I'm lucky to have been, um, I've gained so much enjoyment from it, and I hope that um, you can pass on the enthusiasm that you and uh, Craig both have for the sport, along the, the, with the sort of thing that I do, so that other people can uh, um, enjoy what we've had. Uh, so got close, so much pleasure from over the years. Thank you. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.